Wow, wow, wow. Let's, uh, let's just stay standing. Lord, we thank you that you are here, that you are in this place, and we just continue to say, come, 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 Lord Jesus. Maybe just pray in your own words. That it's not like he left. We didn't stop worshiping. Let's just, let's just pull on heaven. We just say, Jesus, we want more of you. Speak to us, Lord. We come to the fount of wisdom, to the one in whom the treasures of wisdom are hidden, that you would enlighten our minds with the revelation of Jesus Christ tonight in this place. We thank you, God, this is January 1st of a new year. Would you speak to us, God? Would you, would you whisper through the words even spoken, Holy Spirit, and call us into what you are doing, your plans and your purposes for this coming year of our lives, for this church family, for this region, for every individual family. We just say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, and have your way. Amen. Amen. Um, I have notes tonight. Did anybody not get notes? Raise your hand quickly if you didn't get notes, and we're going to have a few people that will be walking around giving you notes. Took me 36 minutes to print all these notes. I know that because the printer told me. I was budgeting about five. So I, I, I want to, I want to just invite you into what I sense. Well, I, I do feel this message has prophetic implications for the entirety of this year for us. And I want to invite you because I'm excited about it. And this is probably one of the only times, this is the first time I have experienced what I have been experiencing in my role of leading this church. And I feel God is giving me a greater strategy to actually operate from, to even steward this pulpit from. And it's, this is the only time I've ever experienced this where I feel like God has opened up this, this well of revelation. Like it's like this whole massive it's like i got a massive reservoir inside of me that i can't qu quite get out of me in one sitting and i i honestly feel that the pulpit is going to be insufficient for me to completely articulate to you what the lord is calling me to bring forth yeah so what i'm going to do what i'm telling you is I know the Lord's calling me to write a book, and this is probably the beginning of that. Um, and, but I, what I'm asking you is if you will commit to, and, and we will together honor, I believe that God actually through this pulpit wants to bring forth a revelation that we can actually steward and become and embody and live as a community. But, but it's going to require actually more than just me. The Lord's been showing me that it's going to require multiple voices in this pulpit, multiple expressions of the word of the Lord, and that if we will together as a community actually honor this as a pulpit of Jesus Christ, he will actually come and he's going to speak to us, and we're going to, we're going to become something more than what we are in the Lord. Like God is so excited about who we are, and he's thrilled about who we're becoming. And Jesus is authoring something in our community that's going to be amazing. And I'm, I'm going to start this process tonight. And we've been on this process. I think it's just going to be more, 
more robust language. But I guess what I'm asking, I want to invite you as a community that we are going to bring forth a revelation of God, a living revelation, something that is embodied. It has skin on us. We're living it. It shows up in our living rooms. It shows up in our workspaces. But it's being authored here in this temple space as we gather around the throne of the Lord and then let him speak to us. That's good news. You guys look like I'm telling you something bad. So this is the journey. It's right here in the intro. Is I believe God wants to take us on a journey of understanding heaven. And in light of understanding heaven, understand what the church is, who we are as a priesthood, and what is the worship that God's looking for. Because God is looking for worship. So we're going to go on a journey and it's not just going to be my voice. There's going to be multiple voices. And we, if we will pull and honor and say, Lord, speak to us through this pulpit, I believe God is going to author something amazing. I personally uh, am, am, am having to upgrade my stewardship of even the gift that God's put on my life. I don't know. I don't have the full picture, but there's going to be different forms of media that I'm going to be creating with you in mind of how can I create different mediums of communication so that I can get into you what I believe God wants to get into you, not just in your intellectual knowledge, but in your heart, like a heart knowledge of an understanding of what is heaven, what is the church, who am I as a priest, and how do I offer God the worship that he's looking for? Yeah. Yeah, it is good. So I've got notes because this is going to help you. Because I hear that I talk fast and I share things that can be a lot to take in in one sitting, yeah? So I'm still going to do that. I'm just going to give you notes that will help you. So when you go home, you can say, what did he say? Oh, yeah, he said that. So I don't know if I'm actually going to say all this, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach what this... I was, I was, I've been writing. I had more notes than this. Because the Lord said, you need to write notes. If you, if, you wanna, if you wanna steward them well, you need to write notes. I said, okay. So I spent 36 minutes at a printer today. So I'm gonna learn lots of things. But anyways, okay, so what is the worship? Let's just start here. What is the worship that God's looking for? Right? God is looking for a certain expression of worship. He's looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. So God's looking, God's searching for worship. To understand the, the, what, what he's looking for in a worshiper, we need to zoom out. We need to get a bigger vision of, of life. We need to see life from God's vantage point. We need to understand heaven if we're to understand worship. We need to understand heaven if we're to understand the church. We need to understand heaven if we're to understand who we are and who he is. We need to understand heaven. We need to see who he is and what is heaven. What's this place of heaven that we talk about? Right? Heaven, we, 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 uh, I, I taught this maybe a few months ago. Who was here when I was teaching on heaven? We talked about, so this is just a little recap. This is Revelation 4, Revelation 21. Heaven is a holy city built around a throne of worship. All right, so just think throne, city. Say it with me, throne, city. So heaven is a throne of worship, and then around that throne is a holy city. There's gates to that city. Out the gates, you go to the nations. But explicitly, we see that heaven is a throne. Okay. So there's no division between sacred and secular. 
There is a perfect integration of throne worship into the, the life and the work of a city, the creative expression, the relational aspects of city life. So worship begins at a throne through song, meditation, right? spiritual expression, what we just did. Whether you were aware of it or not, we're at the throne of God tonight. In the spirit, we're gathered around the throne of God. We were offering praise to the one who sits on the throne and to the lamb tonight. So how in the spirit, in, John, in Revelation 4, John says, behold, there was a door open in heaven and I was in the spirit and I entered through the door and became, came to a throne. We were at the throne tonight. So there's a, there's a throne. There's, there's worship. Worship begins in the spirit, but it doesn't stay in the spirit. Worship then works itself into physicality. Say physicality. So worship, because heaven is a throne city, there's spirituality and physicality perfectly married in heaven. There is concrete, practical, material expression to worship in heaven. Heaven isn't just a throne. It's a throne and a city. And we'll get into it more, but it's a city that then exports to the nations. God is apostolic in his nature. He's ever expanding his goodness. He just can't keep it in. That's in this life and the next life. He doesn't stop being expansive. He's so benevolent that he just can't help himself. And then he's like, you guys, we're going to do it together. We're going to export light and goodness Everything that we experience at the throne, it's going to go into the city and it's going to go to the nations. It's going to come back to the throne. There's just this beautiful, holistic, incarnational vision of worship that God has in his heart. It's bringing God glory. It, 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 it's spirituality married to physicality. And uh, the, 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 so what starts in the spirit will work its way into the physical. And this uh, was God's intention from the beginning. This was a, a quote that I've, I've read through Julian Adams' book. It's on sale in the lobby. Uh, Julian, who was here a few weeks ago. This is his book, Terra Nova. He says, there are two words used to describe our posture of work. To till is the word abad, and to keep is the word shamar. Both words are also used in reference to worship and to keeping God's law. We work in a garden, we worship in a temple. In the first temple of Eden, we learned that work is worship. Work isn't punishment. Let me say that again. Work isn't punishment. It's God's idea. Even God works. And when the kingdom comes fully and makes everything new, there will still be work to be done. There will be work in heaven. There will be work in heaven. Because worship encompasses work. There's this beautiful marriage. There's, there's spirituality and physicality. So our mandate is to extend the boundaries of Eden and this life and turn it into Jerusalem, into heaven. There's worship and work to be done. So there's a rhythm that we will see. And we're going to get more into this in coming weeks as we start wrestling with the implications of what I'm talking about. But just for tonight... Uh, here's, here's a simplified version of this worship we see, the rhythm of worship in heaven. In heaven, we'll worship at the throne, and then we'll worship in the city, and then we'll worship in the nations, and then we'll worship at the throne, on and on and on. So there's an apostolic, an ever-expanding, pioneering expression of worship in heaven. And we'll get into scriptures of that. I, I give you homework tonight. That's a spoiler. Um, on earth now is the same rhythm. 
On earth, we worship at the throne, Sunday gatherings. Anytime two or more gather in my name, I'm there. We worship in the city, tilling the garden of our lives, our relationships, our family, our marriage, our kids, our friendships, our coworkers, our job, our vocation, the, the boundary lines of our inheritance in the earth. We till that garden to make it produce fruit to the glory of God. So we worship at a throne. We worship in the city. We worship in the nations. He says we're to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and then we worship at the throne. So what I'm, at, what I'm presenting to you, suggesting, is that the heavenly rhythm of worship is actually what we're learning here on earth. Where earth is our training ground where we are living and learning how to become the worshipers that God's looking for. How to become holistic, incarnational worshipers in the spirit, tied to our flesh, expressed in physicality, where everything we're doing, the whole ecosystem of how God has designed this life to function is us living into what heaven will be like. So eternal life is starting now because eternal life is to know God, to love God, to worship God. So we are learning how to worship God holistically in this life as an expression of what heaven's going to be like. You guys, are, you guys are getting this. You guys are getting this. Just tell yourself, I'm getting this. Tell yourself, I have capacity to understand revelation of God. Hey, your spirit has the, your spirit is full of wisdom. It really is. All right, so, so God, earth, this life, we're learning to become worshipers. One of the important parts that is needed in this life to become worshipers, as I just suggested, is that we need a vision of heaven if we're to worship rightly. And I would actually say that your vision of heaven is influencing every moment of your life. This is, I believe most people in America think heaven looks like a glorified retirement home. And so we worship with our lives to try to create that with money and time and this, and it's like, I'm going to get rich, and, da, 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 and then we're like, oh, it didn't work. This isn't very heavenly. Right? But your vision of heaven is influencing every moment of your life. Because the question of our life isn't if we'll worship, it's who we'll worship, how we'll worship. We are worshipers. So we all have a very formulated, it might not, we might not be aware of it, but we have a very vivid picture of what we think heaven is like, and we're living into that. Even atheists who say, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in heaven. No, they do. They think that heaven is a place where you can do whatever you want and you can enjoy all your pleasure and be happy. So they're living into that here. So our vision of heaven, our vision of eternity is what we are living into as humans. So you see the power of truth, right? So we need a right picture of heaven if we're to become the worshipers that God's looking for. So Jesus, in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, says, Your kingdom come just on earth as it is in heaven. So what Jesus is doing is he's, he's standing as the high priest and apostle of the church, the general of the church, the leader of the church, and he's saying something really important to us. He's saying, look, heaven, the kingdom of God, is your blueprint for life on earth. 
right? Teach us how to pray. It says, this is how you pray, that the kingdom of God will come to earth. In other words, here's the picture for how you're going to live your life. He's, he's, he's emphasizing. He's, he's actually operating as a wise master builder. And what a master builder, what the general contractor does is they lay out the blueprint of the house and say, here's what you're building. Yeah? So we're the subs. Say, I'm a sub. I'm a subcontractor. Right? They always need a little sanctification. You know what I'm talking about? We're the subcontractors trying to become into the image of the general contractor. We're the subcontractors. And he's saying to all the subcontractors who we make up the body, he says, here's the blueprint. Here's the house we're building. It's heaven. This is what should be your aim. So heaven is our pattern for worship and work which again really is just worship. We just have to say worship and work because we've spiritualized the word worship. So I'm saying worship and work, all worship, but spirituality tied to physicality. It's all worship. Come on. So if we as the church do not have a vivid vision of heaven, we will worship and build according to our own understanding, our own blueprint, and not the vision of Jesus. So imagine all the subcontractors just showing up to a foundation and saying, build what you think would be best. It's, it's kind of the state of the church in America. It's like, kind of like all this different, woo, stuff, because it's like, well, that's an amazing kitchen, but I think that was supposed to be a living room. It's like, that's a farmhouse aesthetic and a modern, it's like, this is crazy. But if we don't have the same vision, we're going to build according to what we think and not according to what is right. So we cannot afford, what I'm trying to say is we cannot afford to have an abstract understanding of heaven. Because... If it's abstract, meaning if we haven't meditated and have a really vivid, living, incarnational picture of heaven, it means that, that so we haven't spent the time, we don't have understanding, so it means we, we do have a vision of heaven, but it's just not one that we're really aware of. It's subconsciously driving our life. We're so quiet. So, it's just the Lord. He's speaking. This is a quote by Albert Moeller. He's, he's the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So this is not a charismatic theologian, but I like what he has to say about worship. So he quotes, he says, Roger Scruton, who's a well-known British philosopher, has suggested that worship is the most important indicator of what persons or groups really believe about God. These are his words. God is defined in the act of worship far more precisely than he is defined by any theology. What Scruton is saying is, in essence, if you want to know what a people really believe about God, don't spend time reading their theologians. Watch them worship. Listen to what they sing. Listen to what they say. Listen to how they pray. Then you will know what they believe about this God whom they worship. So again, heaven 
is God's home. Heaven and God are very closely connected. If you want to know what your vision of heaven is, we have to look at our worship. Which means that what we're doing here on Sunday gatherings, which is not the full encompassment of worship, but this is, this is, this is very formative. What's taking place here, what we're doing here on Sunday evenings is really, really important. And it's a good window. It's a place where we can see and God can see what our worship consists of. So follow me, okay? So I'm, I want to take us on a journey of understanding because I preached two weeks ago talking and Julian gave these words. We're trying to unpack that we're, we're in this transitory season as a church where we're going from a pastoral wineskin to an apostolic wineskin. I want us to have understanding as a community of what God's speaking to us, okay? So, so to do this, like, we're, we're, I want to, because this has impact on our worship. And if I were to describe what Riverhouse is, probably the last couple years, we're in this transition where we have this apostolic expression that's in, that it's somehow emerging from this pastoral understanding. And we're searching for, like, what's the understanding? How do we do church? I mean, who has, honestly, just be honest, you've come here and be like, what is happening in worship here? I mean, the staff's told me this, so I, a lot of you are lying if you don't raise your hand. My mother's told me this, you know? Like, okay, so we've, we're just, we're in flux. We're trying to figure it out, truly. That's part, that's part of the beauty, by the way, of you're just, you're growing. We're growing. Doesn't mean something's wrong. How many teenagers have their identity fully formed? <laughs> not, you're, not, you're not supposed to. Your brain's not even developed yet. You're not. I have a little girl. She doesn't know who she is yet. She's not supposed to. I know more about who she is than she does right now. So this is, this is part of the beautiful process. There's no judgment. But we're growing up. And we're growing up quickly as a church. Okay? So I want to talk about the apostolic blueprint. There's a picture here. You like my, my art? This is the five-fold funnel. So we're, we're going to walk through, and I'm going to try to give you understanding. I'm going to try to give you theological understanding to understand the fivefold ministry, which is in Ephesians 4, if you want to do more study on this. So the funnel, we have heaven at the top, earth at the bottom. So apostles and prophets are oriented to heaven. Say heaven. They're actually gifted by God to become aware of heaven Often more than even earth. These are the people that will often get accused of being too heavenly minded for any earthly good, which is not true. That's actually, uh, uh, that's, that's not true. I'm just saying that's the accusation. So they're gifted to become aware of the reality of heaven and it's imminent inbreaking into earth through the Holy Spirit. That is how apostles and prophets are gifted by God. They become aware of the spiritual and they are accessing the spiritual that the spiritual can break in to the here and the now. How many experienced the spiritual realm breaking into this room tonight? Teachers are the, if the funnel gets narrow, the teachers are this transition point of the funnel where teachers 
are gifted to ground spiritual reality in language, and particularly scriptural language, theological language. So teachers have an innate ability to, when spiritual things are happening, they start to process and put language to spiritual things so that that the spiritual can be accessed. It's a beautiful, wonderful gift. Thank God for teachers. Then pastors and evangelists are gifted by God to influence people, those in the church, those outside the church, to actually access and step into the reality made manifest in an apostolic ecosystem. This is helping me. When I'm teaching, I kind of need a little bit of feedback, not because I'm looking for you to, like, pat me on the shoulder as much as it helps me, like, no, okay, we'll keep going. So I'm just telling you that. So the traditional wineskin... Now, this is the wineskin that I'm going to guess over 90% of the people in this church. This is what we have been discipled into because the predominant wineskin, when I say wineskin, I mean the structure that has held, the structure of understanding and theology and experiences that we've had growing up in church in any amount of time. This is the wineskin. This is what is inside of us when we think of how the church functions. And the the dominant wineskin in Western Christianity is what I'm going to call the traditional wineskin or a pastoral wineskin. Say pastoral wineskin. So in the pastoral wineskin, there's been three of the five leadership graces described in Ephesians 4. There's been three of them that have predominantly led and governed the the wineskin of Western Christianity, the evangelical movement, which I'm guessing is what most people in this room came out of. Not everybody, but most. So in the evangelical wineskin, in a teacher-led environment, and what you'll see, all three of these things are really, really prevalent in evangelical Christianity. In the teacher-led, there'll be a very Bible-centric worship expression. The pulpit is the height of the worship experience. This actually goes all the way back to the Reformation. That we understand that the pulpit is, is, you know, I mean, if we're honest, I'm sure there's people in this room that sometimes you've skipped worship to just come to the pulpit. Which again, if you want to know what we believe about God, look at our... So if there is a value, of like this is part of a teacher-led, where the teacher is the dominant governing influence in the church, is we've understood the pulpit as the center of the worship experience at the church. Right? This is not wrong. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. John 1.14. So this isn't heretical. This isn't like anti-biblical. It's just not complete. This is the cabinet guy being the general contractor. But we, you need cabinets. A kitchen with no cabinets is chaos. Right? But it's not the full blueprint. Okay, pastor-led will have a people-centric worship expression. The comfort and care of the sheep will be nuanced throughout the entire worship of the church. We've experienced this. I actually grew up um, under an incredible shepherd in a very uh, shepherding environment, and there was a grace for healing in that place because there was, they would catch you wherever you are, zero to 100. There was something <laughs> to take care and pastor your soul. Beautiful. This is not wrong. Jesus personally, I think we miss this sometimes. Jesus personally identifies himself with his people when he looks to Paul on the road to Damascus and says, why are you persecuting me? So this isn't wrong. People are really, really important to Jesus. He identifies himself with you on a personal level. That's, that's profound. 
but it's not complete. It's not the full blueprint of the church from Jesus' perspective. An evangelist-led will have a lost-centric worship expression, making outsiders feel at home, will be nuanced throughout the whole church, calls to salvation will be commonplace. Again, this isn't wrong. Jesus, again, he personally identifies himself with the outsider and the marginalized and the lost. It says, what you do to the least of these, you do unto. We need revelation on that. Like, that's, that's, that's wild. If we had revelation on that, we wouldn't struggle worshiping in the workspace and out there because it would all be unto him. Anyways, that's another message. This is beautiful, but it is not the full blueprint of Jesus. Again, this is my guy, Al, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. My haunting thought concerning much evangelical worship is that the God of the Bible would never be known by watching us worship. Would an observer of our worship have any idea the God of the Bible from our worship? I wonder at times if this is an accidental development or if it's an intentional evasion. George Hunter III suggests that a thriving church must practice celebrative worship. He offers two reasons. One, to provide a celebration to which pre-Christians can relate and find meaning. Which grace would that be? Evangelistic. Two, to remove the cringe factor by providing a service our people would love to invite their friends to rather than a service they dread inviting their friends to. Here's a fascinating reversal. The purpose of celebrative worship first is to provide a celebration for pre-Christians and second suggests removing anything he identifies as the cringe factor by providing a service which people would like to come to. A little bit down, but as we read the scripture, it's clear that there's a great deal of the cringe factor in there. In fact, if you're going to remove the cringe factor from Scripture, then you're going to end up with a very thin book. <laughs> Hebrews 10.31 reveals, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I wonder if there's anything that could even be remotely suggested as a terrifying reality as we present the God we claim to worship in what we do and what we say. It's a Baptist boy. What I believe he's critiquing is the wineskin of worship in a pastor-teacher-evangelist-led understanding of what worship is. If it's teacher-evangelist-pastor only, our understanding of worship will be around the word and around people, which is what he's talking about. So you remove the cringe factor. You make it comfortable. You put a lot of scripture in there. But what's missing from this? heaven. All right, so let's jump and, and start to understand, right? I feel it seeping into you. This is, this is the reformation that God's, I believe he's bringing it here, but I believe that he's actually bringing it probably in dozens and dozens of communities across the Western church. So I don't think that we're some sort of special or remarkable. I just think that we've positioned ourselves to say, God, I want to be on the tip of the spear of what you are doing in the earth. And whenever God is working in the earth, it's always multicentric, meaning it's multiplaceable places at the same time. So this isn't to some sort of promotion of Riverhouse. This is a promotion of what God is breaking into his church because we know we need reformation because the church hasn't been working in this country. 
We just have to have the humility to call a spade a spade and say, under our watch, America's gone from the nation under God to a heathen nation. That's not broken culture's fault. That's the church's fault. That's because our worship hasn't prophesied of a God who is awesome and mighty and worthy of being praised. So let's, let's, let's follow this reformation. What is an apostolic wineskin? So first I want to say the traditional wineskin is not wrong. It's incomplete. To embrace apostolic and prophetic ministry as foundational gifts of the church is not to degrade the teaching, pastoral, and evangelistic giftings. They don't need to go away. They need to be transformed and begin to operate within an apostolic environment. Um, I'll maybe just touch on this. You can read more, but this is the, the teacher, pastor, and evangelist will actually thrive most in an apostolic environment. All right, so the teacher uh, is, is equipped by God to bring understanding into an ecosystem of manifest presence, which we all know can be quite messy and hard to understand, right? This is what teachers are for. So when God's breaking in and the spirit is moving in an environment, a teacher can start to put language and theology and understanding and bring fresh words because there's the fresh movement of the spirit. And now we can have fresh understanding with fresh bread and fresh words of how we can connect and actually begin to change the way we think and operate because of the teacher's gift. That's the role of the pulpit. The pulpit is to serve what the spirit of God is doing not what he did, not what he might do one day, what he's doing. He's now. He's the God who was, who is, and who's coming now, and now, and now. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? The early church, it was like a volcano was erupting, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Pentecost, the glory comes, and Peter gets teaching grace on him, and he begins to say, this is what's going on, the book of Joel. Da -da 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 -da. He put language to the spiritual. Teachers are made to function in environments of apostolic expression where the Spirit of God is just breaking in and breaking in and breaking in, breaking in and breaking in. The church was never meant to go around and memorialize. Remember when the volcano explored? Look at that crater now. That caldera, look at that, there's deer up there. We weren't, we weren't supposed to go and spectate where the glory once was. It's now, 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 now. Glory to glory to glory to glory who was and is and is to come and to come, to come, to come, to come, to come. That's not supposed to be spectacular, special Christianity. That is our apostolic inheritance of the early church. Now, heaven is here. Now, 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 now. I wake up in the morning. It's here. It's here. He's here. He's close. This is the kingdom of God. It's the imminent inbreaking of the Holy Spirit's leadership in our lives. It's like Jesus is saying, you don't have to do it all your own way anymore. Watch me. I'm living connected to the Holy Spirit. It's now. Come on. So the teacher is meant to thrive. The pastor is meant to thrive. Because you know where breakthrough comes? Real healing. How addictions get removed. It's not just in good advice and wisdom we need that but it's in spirit empowered encounters with god so pastors will help people connect their hearts and get breakthrough and then pastors will help people steward spiritual experiences so that what happens in the throne will make its way home 
Because the spiritual is meant to manifest in physicality. It's meant to manifest in your marriage, with your children, with your friendships, with your coworkers. Do you know how much of a city is made up of relationships? On your way home, just pay attention to all the neighborhood developments. Think of all the coffee shops. Think of all the, the things that are built in a city just to steward relationship. It's a big part of a city. It's a big part of our lives. Wow, thank God for pastors, for shepherds that teach us how to navigate the soul so that we can become incarnational love to the world. Because we all know, we've all been there. You can be so in the anointing and still wound people and make messes if you don't have healthy insights. Thank God for shepherding grace. Evangelist, my gosh, evangelist, right? Yes, we want to get people into the church, but that's not the main call of the evangelist. The main call of evangelist is to get people with Jesus into the presence of Jesus and to get the church to bring the good news out there. The evangelist has a gift set to mobilize an activated people who are activated by the inbreaking of the Holy Spirit. They'll mobilize those people so that the marginalized and the outcast and the downtrodden will be lifted up by the manifest presence of Jesus. We are made to export light from the temple to the city. And we're here at the temple of God and there's a city full of darkness. And the evangelist is saying, come on, let's go. Yeah, people will come, but that's not the evangelist. Is like, let's go. Let's go. So an evangelist is going to thrive. Because there's all these people are going to be fired up like, i got a healthy soul. My marriage is thriving. I've got language. I'm encountering God. I'm encountering God. What do I do? They're like, come with me. Come with me. Okay. So I'm not degrading the graces is what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to create some sort of spiritual corporate ladder where if you really put in your 10 years, you might get promoted to a prophet or apostle one day. It's not, it's not like that. It's right. Remember the friction? It's upside down. It's upside down. So in the church, the, the leading graces, which are apostolic and prophetic, are the foundation. How many of you have like building a home and you're like, hey guys, come over. You want to see the house? The foundation got laid. It's like, look at this thing. It's beautiful. See all those square patterns? I don't know what they mean. But there's rebar sticking out of them. No, you're like, come look at the kitchen. Come look at the bedroom. Come, come look at how I did whatever. My chandeliers. Come look at my furniture. Come look at my man cave. One day, Lord. <laughs> I'm going to need it if estrogen keeps coming into my household. Right, but th that's what we invite people to come look at, not foundations. In fact, once they start building on the foundation, you never think about it again unless something bad happens. Gotta get in the crawl space. I got stuck in a crawl space one time. I'm not gonna go there. We, it, I'm already late. Are you, do I have time? Can I go? Can I keep going? Okay, so, so the biblical pattern is that God will create apostolic prophetic alliances and they together form a foundation. Uh, you look at David and Nathan as a forerunner 
the king prophet of the Old Testament, is a forerunner, forerunner of the apostle prophet of the New Testament. You see Paul and Silas linked up and they go to lay the foundation to build Jesus communities, to build temples of God in the different regions that they've been called to. So apostles and prophets work together to build a foundation that the house of the church can be built upon, that the dwelling place of God can sit upon that foundation. So let's, let's look at what this foundation is. Right? So prophets and apostles, they're both oriented to the spirit. They do things a little bit different. Prophets are more unilaterally, typically speaking, highly, highly sensitive to the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm will be much more real to them than the natural realm. They will see with heavenly eyes. And the call of the prophet is to emphatically, with clarity and conviction, call the church to see the unseen. This is the story of, of Elisha and the servant when all the, the, the armies are surrounding them and the servant starts freaking out and Elisha just goes, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And he looks out and he can see myriads of angels. Right? The church has to see the unseen. We have to see the risen Jesus. We have to see what heaven is. Prophets are given grace by God to open the eyes, to, to, to call the church to see what they can see. And when a prophet is recognized and received, that grace will dispense through the honor of that recognition and reception, and the eyes of the church will begin to open. They'll begin to open to the spiritual reality. They'll begin to open to heaven. Apostles will work with that. They're less concerned about just the opening of the eyes, but apostles have been given the blueprints of heaven. Per se, apostles are given the, the, the architectural drawings of a house. So God says, okay, I want to do this in Boise. He'll, he'll give apostolic grace, and it's this blueprint that then has, it, it will partner with the call of the prophetic to the spiritual, but then congregate all the other graces and say, we need to synergistically come together to build this house according to the heavenly pattern that God is dispensing so that we can see a region transformed by the manifest presence of God. This, this is what this region looks like in heaven. And it's a call. It's a call to come together. Because the church, when the, when the church comes together, this is Paul's ecclesiology in Ephesians 4. He's trying to cast a vision that when the church comes together, she will become something so glorious that she will turn the world upside down and make it look like heaven. And it's through our worship. Right, so together, the apostolic and the prophetic, they, they form an alliance to lay a foundation. And that foundation is that they will build the throne of God on earth. That, that's the first assignment of apostolic ministry in a region, is to go and to establish a throne of worship in a region. Uh, this is Paul. If you, if you want to do some, uh, some studies... I, in, in Acts 16, Acts 19, you will see that, that, that Paul goes and, and there's an expression of worship, particularly it's explicitly in Acts 16 when he's in Philippi in the prison. And him and Barnabas are worshiping and it says the earth shakes and the prison bars open up, which is a prophetic sign of what was happening in that region. The, when, when you touch heaven... And a priesthood on earth begin to worship the Lamb where all authority comes from. 
We are then giving permission for his throne to come and establish on the earth. And when the throne of God touches down on the earth, there is a shaking and a breaking that breaks loose in a region because the authority of the creator who was and is and is to come touches down on the earth because his priesthood has created a space through worship and praise that you can come back to the planet as God. And the prison bars of a region start to shake and break because the authorities and the strongholds begin to bow down to the name of Jesus. Ephesians 2.20, we are the church through whom the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to who? The rulers and authorities in heavenly places. How do we make that wisdom known? It is through the worship and praise and glorification of this one Jesus. It is a throne of worship. When it touches into a region, signs and wonders begin to break out because the authority of God has permission to manifest in an environment. This is the wineskin shift that God is bringing to the Western church. He is reinstituting the apostolic and prophetic ministry so that his throne can reemerge in the worship of the church. And when an outsider walks into those doors and they watch us worship, they will see a people that are in the spirit beholding the Lamb of God and say, I am full of fear and wonder because there is a God in this place that I cannot deny. The key is worship. The key to a region is worship. And the key to the, and it's the worship of the church. It is not the worship leader with a guitar. It is the worship of a royal priesthood emerging from a place of royal identity where we understand that who we are in the heavenly worship scene are these elders seated on a throne with crowns and the worship that glorifies Jesus. It's not from a place of paupers or peasants. It is when a royal priesthood steps down from a throne and falls down and takes their crown and says, worthy, Worthy is the Lamb of God. This is the pattern of apostolic ministry. Paul and Silas, nothing on the outside would come stumbling into these towns, but they would be full of the manifest presence of God, and they would call people unto Jesus, and they would establish a throne of worship called the Church of Jesus Christ, and it would change regions, not by their power, but by the power of God that the worship of a royal priesthood unlocks into a region. Psalm 149 says, the high praises of God in my mouth and a double-edged sword in my hand. Worship is warship. It is, it is a contending. So now let's look. Why is there so much contention in the church over worship? Why is there so much resistance in the church over worship? We've all felt this. We have all come into here on nights, and I just don't feel like it tonight. Like, uh, why does all the criticism come to our minds in worship? Because there is a war for the worship of the bride of Christ. Because when she starts worshiping, the region will change. When an apostolic people have an awakening of who they are and who this one is who sits on a throne, and when that throne touches down, in an environment, everything changes. So there is a war for worship. God is searching 
for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. And we're going to go more into this. I don't even know where I am on my notes. So I have to write a book. But I, want, I just want to leave it with this. The early church understood that their gatherings were the temple of God. The, 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 when the spirit fell in wind and fire in the book of Acts, that was mirroring to the Jewish audience that was there. They knew that was what happened when the glory filled the temple in Exodus and in First Kings with Solomon. It's wind and fire and smoke. And so when they were gathering in an upper room and the presence of the Holy Spirit fell upon the 120 praying, they knew God was speaking to them, you are a temple of Shekinah glory. And so then their mission was to take that temple and establish the temple, the throne, in the different cities and regions and environments they were called to. And it's a throne of worship. It's a throne of worship. We will never transform cities. We'll not, we won't build cities until we build thrones. Heaven is a throne city environment. And if we want to access the realities of heaven, if we want to take heaven with us to our city and our region and our family and our neighborhood, it starts with worship. It is a foundation of worship. It's the throne of God. This is the foundation that apostles and prophets lay. Meaning worship has to look different on Sunday gatherings than what we've maybe been trained to think. There might be cringe factor we might go an hour and 15 minutes. We might go two hours and 15 minutes. But if we understand the levity and the gravity of what we are doing every time we gather, we are coming and we are creating an environment where the, where the throne of God, where the rainbow and the storm and the lightning and thunder and the glory and the angels and the, this whole heavenly scene, it's breaking into the earth every time we gather and we enter into the spirit together and worship the Lamb. Our region will never, it's changing every single time we gather. I think I'm just going to end there. I'll say it one more thing. So the heavenly blueprint that we need, we'll get from the throne. One. And what we are going after here, the transition we're in, is that worship in an apostolic prophetic church, which is not just apostolic, again, it's a fivefold expression, but worship in an apostolic environment will mirror what worship looks like around the throne right now. It'll be now. And it will break in now. So we come with this trembling fear expectation of what? is gonna happen when God breaks in. Week after week, this is the rhythm. We worship the throne, we worship in the city, we worship in the nations, we worship at the throne, we worship at the city, worship in the, we're learning how to be heavenly beings. We're learning how to be citizens of God's kingdom, amen? Okay, your homework is this. I want you to read and meditate on Revelation 4, 5, 4 and 5 and Isaiah chapter 6. 
And next week, we're going to explore and we're going to do it together again of what it means to actually uh, live into the truth that these passages convey. So that's your homework. And then this is, this is what I want to call us to. It's the beginning of the year. I called us last year into a 21-day fast. Who did that? Who did at least three days? And <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm going to call us this year into a 21-day feast. It says that you only fast when the bridegroom's not there. And the Lord keeps speaking through different prophetic people and words that he's saying, I'm here. Stop asking me to come. And so we're going to feast. And this is, what I, this is what I want to call you to. I want to call you to feast upon the word, like 10 chapters of the scripture a day. I want you to feast on the Bible. And then two, this is actually the most important, is I want you to buy grape juice and bread, and I want you to put it on your table, and I want you to take communion every day with your family or your roommates. And, and at, the, at the culmination of every meal, I want you to take the Lord's Supper and create a space to say, come, 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 Lord Jesus, come and dine with us here and to actually just feast upon the Lord that an expectation would grow inside of us that God is here. He's the one who was, who is, and who is coming. Let's give him space to come. Amen. All right. So on your way home, stop at Fred Meyer. You should run into people. There's at least 30 bottles of grape juice. You can fight for as many as you can, but seriously, get it tonight. Do it. Quick obedience. Just join with me. Let's feast. And I want you to come with expectation to the house of the Lord next Sunday evening at three o'clock for pre-service prayer and four o'clock to come before the throne of glory. Amen. God, we thank you for the living word that is in this place. I thank you, God, for spirit and in truth that you would impart a revelation into us and that you would awaken the worshiping warriors. Just maybe stand on your feet. Stand on your feet, everybody. Put your hand on your heart and just say, God, awaken the worshiping warrior inside of me. We just say, Holy Spirit, wake us up. Wake us up, Lord. Awaken the worshiper, Lord. Find in this house a company of worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. We say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha, just, just say, just cry, Maranatha, just says, come, Lord Jesus. We cry, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. He's coming on some of you right now. He's surprising you. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come, come, come. Come and stir an appetite in us, an insatiable desire to be a people marked by your glory. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Go in peace and we will see you at prayer this week in church next Sunday.